Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Welcome to Biz 503, the Portland startup and small business podcast from Portland Radio Project. I'm PRP FM co-founder Rebecca Webb. This last year has been a difficult one for immigrant and refugee communities in Oregon. Enforcement sweeps for undocumented immigrants and travel bans for refugees are sowing uncertainty and leaving many in a legal limbo. We'll look into their tumultuous world with our panel today. Lee Geshwil, who chairs government relations for the Oregon Association of Nurseries and is the owner of F&B Farms in Woodburn. Welcome, Lee. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Yes. And did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Also with us, Sam Pardue and Carrie Sturrock, joining from Indo Windows, which helped launch the We Hire Refugees campaign in Portland. Welcome to you. We're so pleased to be here this morning. And Jimmy Dogo with uh, the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization, or ERCO. Now, Jimmy is the director of ERCO, Africa House, and the organization's Employment and Refugee Services. So happy you're here, Jimmy. Thank you for Thank you. welcoming me. Very much. Lee, as owner of F&B Farm, and what does F&B stand for again? Fred and Bill. Fred and Bill. Is uh, any relation? Uh, yeah, they're brothers. <laughs> it's a third-generation farm in the Willamette Valley. Nice. And also with your nursery in Woodburn, can you just tell us a little bit about your business, what you do there? Okay. Well, we're a diversified Willamette Valley farm. We grow hops and row crops and grass seed. And our nursery, we supply independent garden centers in Oregon and Washington. Very nice. And what's the composition of your workforce? Well, as most people in natural resources, we're predominantly Hispanic immigrants and anywhere from 50 to 65 percent. Uh, depending on the time of the year. Wow. Half or more. Oh, yeah. And what about your industry is attractive to that population? I think some of these folks are coming from agricultural areas in Central America or Mexico or wherever they're coming out of. And and the sort of family nature of farming, I think, is attractive to them. They can often get multiple family members employed at the same location and I think it just feels comfortable and familiar to them when they're coming here. Yeah, I just want to ask Jimmy to describe ERCO's mission and the job placement work, because I'm assuming that you have worked with Lee at some point. Yeah, ERCO's mission is to promote the integration of refugee, immigrant, and the community at large into a self-sufficient, healthy, and inclusive, you know, uh, multi-ethnic society. How many refugees does ERCO place? So every year we place between 1,000 to 1,200 refugees, uh, depending on the number of arrivals. And what kind of partnerships are involved? I mean, do you reach out to farms like Lee's? Yeah, we reach out to farm. We reach out to all the industries um, because just like uh, Lee said, some of those uh, refugees are coming here. They have a farming experience and they want to continue uh, farming. So we reach out to different farm and some of those refugees also want to own their own farm. So we also help them to uh, find uh, land in the long run. Uh, but uh, we prefer them to work with those uh, farmers for a while to learn about the machinery here and how farms are run in the United States and particularly here in Oregon. Okay. And Sam, for Indo Windows, 
Uh, I know that you and Carrie launched the We Hire Refugees program. How did that come to be? We started We Hire Refugees about one year ago. And the reason why we started it is that we have a number or had a number of refugees working on our staff. And the political discourse around refugees was so negative and it was so at odds with the reality that we saw every day because the refugees who work at Indo are such wonderful people. Um, they're people that we treasured. They're members of our family. And to hear the really uh, bitter and negative discourse about them on the national stage, it felt like there needed to be a voice from the business community speaking up and letting people know what a very valuable role and what wonderful people uh, refugees uh, are and, and how uh, wonderful they can be for our companies and for our communities and our country. I kind of forgot to ask you, what is Endo Window, oh, by thanks. the way? It, thank you very much. Endo is a clean tech manufacturing business based in North Portland. Uh, we manufacture window inserts. So they uh, our window inserts press into place on the inside of existing window frames to give those windows all the comfort and energy efficiency of high-end replacement windows, but you don't have to replace your windows. So it's a really great energy efficiency boost that also can make your uh, home or office much quieter. Okay. Well, thanks for that. And Carrie, talk about the refugee programming. First of all, how do you happen to come to have refugees working there in the first place? And who are they? Where are they from? When we started the campaign, we had five refugees working for us, um, four from Burma and one from Iraq. And we had, as Sam mentioned, become concerned about the negative uh, political discourse regarding refugees and immigrants during the presidential campaign. And so we knew that nonprofits like ERCO and religious institutions had long been doing the heavy lifting to help refugees get settled in the United States. And we decided that, and we talked to them ahead of time and said, you know, would it be helpful if businesses came forward who hire refugees and were just more vocal about the fact that we hired them and, and that they were um, important to our business? And they said yes. And so we launched this campaign to uh, mainly target small and medium-sized businesses and help amplify their voices and let people know that refugees make our you know, businesses stronger and our communities stronger and that they are a really important part of um, our communities. And Jimmy, can you tell us who else is coming in, uh, who you are dealing with, you know, in terms of trying to reach out on their behalf for the workforce? So we have a refugee coming from all over the world. They're coming from Syria, from Iraq, from Somalia, from Congo, from um, Burma, Afghanistan. And recently we have a lot of refugee coming from Russia and Ukraine. So all those refugees will uh, come here and uh, we help them to get a job. And some of them, we also help them to uh, get back to the profession that they have in their home country. So refugees are coming from all over places and with uh, all kind of uh, skill set. Very interesting. It, many fewer now, <laughs> however. Yes, yes, with the current administration, uh, the refugee number is uh, very limited. We have uh, just few refugees. For instance, for the months of uh, December, usually we receive about 100 of refugees per month. And months of December, we receive only four refugees. Wow, a huge drop. Yeah. And, and so, Lee, let me ask you, we're going to talk a little bit in the next segment about sort of where that leaves industries that rely so much on immigrants and refugees. And we've all heard stories about undocumented individuals who've been arrested and deported, sometimes leaving their families, their wives, their children 
behind and heartbreaking stories. I'm just wondering if you've personally witnessed anything of that nature in your farm workers. Not at our particular farm, but certainly our town. I live in Woodburn was the subject of several raids um, last year, which made people really fearful. And I think, you know, the general populace assumes that all undocumented workers, the whole family is undocumented. But in many cases, these are mixed status families. So you have someone who came here legally and maybe they brought someone like their children illegally. And some people are citizens and some people aren't. And so it's really hard to just say, well, we're going to deport all these families because you can't deport all those families. So it's it's very confusing, I think, for individuals. And um, they look to us to try and sort this out because they don't understand what's going to happen to them. So it's really just a state of limbo. Sam and Carrie, any personal story? We haven't had any personal stories, but we have seen the alarm and uh, some fear amongst the refugee employees that work at Indo. And that you know, was really a kind of a heartbreaking thing to witness. Uh, people who are just wonderful members of our community are really fearful of being ripped away and sent back to uh, places that are very dangerous for them. What about you, Jimmy? So uh, refugee, when they come here, they have uh, all the documentation that they need to stay and work in the United States. But with this current administration, with all the executive order and also the list of uh, uh, some of the country that the refugee come from that are banned to come to the United States, the refugees are so scared. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Even though they're legally here, they're still scared. They fear all the time that they may be deported at any time. Even though some of, even those who are already naturalized citizens, they still uh, live in fear that they will be deported at any time because they were not born here. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll characterize what role these immigrants and refugees play in Oregon's economy and what is being done to sort of mitigate the situation that they face. Support comes from listeners, thank you, and from premium websites, offering website management and marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz 503. We're talking about Oregon's immigrants and refugees and their place in Oregon's economy today. As you know, actions by President Trump, including multiple travel bans targeted at Muslim-majority nations, have met with various levels of judicial and popular resistance. And immigration and deportation arrests have skyrocketed compared to the same period the year before. On our panel today, we have Lee Geshwill with the Oregon Association of Nurseries, Sam and Carrie from Indo Windows and We Hire Refugees and Jimmy Dogo of Urco. Thank you so much for sticking around. And, and let's just start with you, if we could, Lee, and try to get a picture of what segment of Oregon's economy is served by the labor of refugees and immigrants. Well, in the agricultural or what we'd call natural resources, so wineries, forestry, Christmas trees, all of that, um, you really have probably about, we estimate about 70% of our workforce is immigrant overall. And so, I mean, these people are a real important component to the economic success. And Oregon is a 
lucky state in that we export most of our products. So this means we're bringing outside revenue dollars back into the state. And really, people acknowledge that tech and ag really help drive the economy. And in rural communities, ag is definitely predominant for that. So um, this immigrant population and workforce is critical to getting things done. And if you rely for the labor on 70% immigrants, how many of those are undocumented, do you estimate? If I had to guess, at least 50%. Wow. And some of that could be, you know, maybe they came here with documentation, maybe they overstayed their visa, and we don't know that. I mean, we see documentation when we hire them, but we don't always know, you know, if that's legal documentation or, I mean, and you can't grill people. That's not that's not legal. So so what kind of shape does that leave you in and the rest of Woodburn well, for a labor? What we've seen, and I think other people in our industry would agree with this, is that we've seen kind of an erosion of our labor force over time. You know, Oregon used to have a very robust labor force, um, but we see people as they maybe lose their driver's licenses, they quit coming to work or during all of the raids last year, some people just chose to go back to their native countries. They just picked up and left. Um, so, I mean, we need an increasing workforce. We'd like to grow. We could grow by 20%, but most businesses are trying to limit their growth to maybe 2% just because that labor uncertainty is there. We don't know how many people we're going to be left with. And, you know, depending on what Congress and our president decide to do, <laughs> we don't know if we'll be left with anyone. So it's um, it's a little uncertain. Definitely. Uh, Jimmy, talk about ERCO's work and specifically with regard to the travel bans that uh, Trump implemented or attempted to implement. Where did that leave uh, the people that you're working with at ERCO? So um, with this travel ban, we have a um, very, very uh, limited refugee coming in, but we still have uh, refugees who are already here. But since the travel ban, we have a very strong relationship with employers, strong partnership, and strong employment rate uh, among the refugees. So it's like the whole, you know, Oregon supporting refugees, opening their door for employment for those refugees. And those refugees are coming with all kind of skill set that uh, employers uh, need. So uh, even though um, refugees are living in fear, but uh, employers are uh, very nice to us and uh, continue to hiring a refugee at very high rate. Which kind of makes me wonder if a case can't be made, as I believe, you know, conservatives would make, that limiting the number of refugees actually is a benefit to the folks who are already here, who now have a very un low unemployment rate. So... Um, Especially in Oregon, there is a job, and it doesn't matter uh, how many refugees we have here, we will always find them job. And since 1975, we have uh, more than uh, 70,000 refugees resettled in uh, the state of Oregon, and a majority of them is still working. And again, refugees are hard worker. When they get a job, it's rare that they will leave this job. So uh, people continue having job. Uh, there is a lot of job opportunity in Oregon in it doesn't matter if you have uh, zero uh, work experience or American uh, marketable skill or highly qualified, we still find them job. There is still job for them. Do you want to respond to that? Also, Sam, I saw you kind of shaking your head. I'm just curious as to whether you think a case could be made for limiting immigration 
and refugees coming in uh, so that those who are here find work. I think in today's economy, there is no limit of opportunities for people who are hardworking and want jobs. Uh, I don't think the refugees are displacing anybody from job opportunities in the United States. Uh, so I think actually um, we're going to find that this restrictive immigration policy is going to be a negative for businesses of all levels and in all sectors. I think it's going to hurt the technology industry. I think it's going to hurt uh, agriculture. I think it's going to hurt manufacturing and, and other sectors that, you know, hospitality, uh, food processing, all of them are going to be uh, negatively impacted by this policy. So I don't think it's good for business at all. I think uh, as it negatively impacts the economy, it will ripple through, unfortunately, and so there'll be indirect negative effects on people trying to find jobs. So hypothetically, and, and Carrie, maybe you can answer this, if you hadn't been able to invite refugees to work for you, how would that have impacted your business? Well, I think the refugees who have worked at Indo have been an incredible part of making Indo a more efficient company. Ahmed, uh, who we mentioned a little earlier, is just been um, an astounding employee in terms of like, um, you know, making the production floor run smoothly and finding ways that we can do what we do uh, more efficiently and more productively. So at Indo, they've been crucial to the business's success. And I would also say that, you know, they've affected the culture of Indo. We had a, uh, we created a refugee support committee when we realized that there were questions that some of the refugees who worked with us had in terms of, you know, financial planning and learning how to do their taxes and things like that. And so we came together with them to create a committee. And that in and of itself just made the culture um, at Indo, which was already compassionate and caring, more compassionate and caring and kind of knit things together. So it's been a really good experience for Indo to have refugees who we found through ERCO working for us. Yeah. Have you had, uh, because of the name We Hire Refugees and, you know, promoting that concept, have you had any feedback from the public either positively or negatively? We've had both uh, types of feedback. Uh, most of it uh, has been very positive. I think some people have been confused that the name We Hire Refugees implies that it's a preferential uh, hiring policy. In fact, the kind of the first best practice listed on the We Hire Refugees site is that employers should hire the best people for the job. And that means if it's a veteran, then hire a veteran if there's a good veteran employee, if that means there's uh, someone from any other walk of life you know, we promote non-discrimination, but we felt it was important to have just a positive message that uh, that businesses, uh, you know, do hire refugees. Businesses play an incredibly important role in integrating refugees into our communities successfully, so they become uh, prosperous and and productive members of our society. And that's really what uh, that name was meant to uh, to communicate. So, thanks. That's a that's a great question. Okay. I guess uh, agriculture is going to be without a few workers, increasingly few workers going well, forward. It it is. And really, it probably started post 9-11. And we just didn't realize that it kept dwindling until it got to the critical state. Uh, but now, of course, we're like screaming from the rooftops uh, to anyone who will listen. Um, and we're very lucky in Oregon. Our governor is extremely supportive and she's done everything she possibly can to 
at least keep things open on our end, but of course it's a federal issue. And so as with the refugee settlements, we have to have the federal government working with us. Gonna give you a chance to keep screaming after a short break. Okay. <laughs> Support comes from listeners, thank you, and from premium websites, offering website management and marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz 503. We're here today with Lee Geshwill of the Oregon Association of Nurseries, Sam Pardue and Carrie Sturrock of Indo Windows and We Hire Refugees, and Jimmy Dogo from ERCO, which deals with a lot of uh, immigrants and refugees and finds them work. In this segment, how business and organizations are working to mitigate the impacts of anti-migrant policies that uh, are prevalent in our country right now. So when we broke, Lee, you were saying, you know, we're screaming from the rooftops to anyone who will listen. What are you saying? What are you hoping for? What's the problem? Well, the problem is really twofold. We need to deal with all the undocumented folks that are here. And as Sam had alluded to before, these are working, productive families in our communities. So these aren't people that we want to just go away. I mean, they're here, they're integrated into our system, and they're valuable to us. So we need a immigration fix that's going to deal with the people who are here, and then we need more people. Um, we don't want to stem that flow. So at the Nursery Association, we had tried to pass a driver's card bill. Portland didn't like it, so it didn't it didn't go. Um, although I wonder if we brought it back today, if we might get a different result. That would be kind of interesting to see now that it's a few years have passed and the dialogue has shifted. Maybe so. And that did pass in the legislature, as I recall. It did. It did. And the governor was going to sign it and it got referred. So that's, you know, the way of many bills in Oregon. And what would it have provided briefly? It would have just provided not a legal federal ID, but a way for people to drive safely on the road. They would still have to pass the driver's test. They still would have had to get insurance. It just would have allowed them rights to drive on our roads. And why would that be important? Well, people need to get to work so they could support their families and be productive. So, and then the other piece is the federal piece, which is really important. There is a visa program, an H-2A program, Oregon has not traditionally made those visa programs really easy to use. We have a lot of extra sort of cumbersome employment laws that kind of hinder your ability to use those programs. And so one of our goals is to sort of work within the legislature to make that usable for folks in Oregon. So like Jimmy's program, we can bring people in legally and, you know, with safeguards and sort of side rails on that make people feel comfortable with immigrant folks being here. So, Sam, you're looking at a possible solution in action. And can you tell us how We Hire Refugees has figured into that? What was the reception like when it launched? Thanks. Yes. Yeah, so we, as Carrie mentioned earlier, when we uh, conceived of We Hire Refugees, we went out and talked to all the major national organizations that work with refugees around the country and got an enthusiastic response because 
there is really, um, you know, from their point of view, a missing voice in the conversation about refugees, which is the businesses that hire them. Uh, so uh, great response from the uh, refugee community itself and a, a growing response from businesses as well. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, the whole refugee issue is very, very controversial and a number of businesses are conservative, but we've been steadily adding uh, new businesses to the campaign. Uh, companies like Neil Kelly, companies like New Seasons, Approved, I mean, people from the technology industry, kind of from a spectrum of businesses across the country uh, have joined up. So we're right on the cusp of 99. I would invite anyone who is listening today that owns a business to join. You don't have to hire refugees to join. You can support them or welcome them to your business and uh, feel free to sign up the pledge. But the idea is to reach a critical mass of businesses that are signing the pledge, that are declaring their support for refugees and their important role in our communities, in our countries, and our companies. Uh, and once we get that, we'd like to communicate that out to uh, politicians at every level of government to let them know that there's a strong business voice behind refugees. We'll be including that information on our blog post about this interview so they'll know how to reach out to Thank your group. Thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. And Carrie, is there a specific message that you are hearing in our country that We Hire Refugees is trying to counter? Well, I just think there's been a lot of negative and fearful discourse about refugees and immigrants. And so this whole campaign was designed to, um, you know, counter that. Words are powerful, and there have been a lot of really negative things said in the last year. And, you know, with the campaign, one thing we're really trying to point out, and this has been said already today, but that, you know, refugees and immigrants are highly skilled and have strong work ethics. You know, this is a nation um, that was built by hardworking immigrants. And refugees often become valuable and loyal members of the businesses that they work for, valuable team members. And I wanted to point out that in the We Hire Refugees Declaration, it states that our worth is not measured by our wealth, but by our compassion for our neighbors who, like us, want to live useful, purposeful lives and provide for their families. And that's just kind of the nut of it. Louis Armstrong couldn't have sung it any better than that. <laughs> um, curious, though, there, there is a thread of this conversation that asserts these are jobs that uh, citizens, U.S. citizens, would be taking if not for the refugees and immigrants. Um, what do you say to that? Well, I would point out, um, underscore something Sam said earlier. And, you know, we got a little bit of online criticism from folks who said, that, um, you know, why aren't you hiring veterans? And we're open to hiring veterans. We're open to hiring anyone. And the most important thing that any business can do is hire the best person for the job because employers recognize that successful integration of refugees into a community means no discrimination for or against any member of that community. So, But I would add to that, it's really hard to get good employees right now. You know, Indo is always looking to hire people, and uh, I really disagree with the notion that there's displacement of jobs. I think when these people come in, it helps our economy grow. If you look at uh, the Chinese economy, they're facing a, a huge demographic wall due to their one-child policy. And so they're going to have fewer and fewer uh, people that are going to be able to work in China. And the number one reason why the United States is 
going to be able to stay ahead of the Chinese economy is because of immigration. Without it, uh, we will fall behind. All right, Jimmy, tell us what goes into, you know, processing people at ERCO. What kinds of skills are they bringing in? How do you approach businesses? And is there any incentive for them to work with you on placement? So, yeah, there is a many things go to uh, the list of consideration and assessment when refugees come here because those refugees come here with a uh, different, you know, skill set. So we uh, work with refugee individually and our workforce, you know, specialists work closely with these refugees to assess, you know, their experience, their degree, what they did back home and all those. And we want to make sure that the job the refugee are looking for are, are realistic. So let's say if somebody is a physician uh, or engineer in their home country or an HR manager, uh, they come here, they want to be an HR manager or they want to be a physician, but at the same time they don't speak English. So for the first year of their arrival here, it's not uh, possible. So we help those refugees with some vocational training, with uh, whatever they need to go back to school, to learn English in order to get the profession that they have back home. So we help them with all this. And also uh, we make sure that uh, uh, we do a career plan with them, career plan review, what they want to do uh, after they getting the initial entry level job, if they need uh, to take uh, courses or uh, whatever support that they need from us, we will look for them to support. Uh, recertification, recredentialization for their degree, evaluation for their degree, and all those. And the incentive for um, employer to hire refugees, just like uh, Sam and Kerry said, refugees are hard worker and they're very uh, motivated to work. It's rare to see a refugee just quitting a job. So uh, they are determined to stay. And also, you know, another incentive is just like uh, anybody else uh, that is determined by the uh, labor employment for people to get, for employer to get a tax break. So some of the refugees fall into those uh, target group, into those categories, like uh, disability or uh, on TNF attending a vocational training and all those kind of things. We have also refugee uh, in this category of this group so that employer can get a tax break from it if they hire refugees. And I also want to add that refugees, not just looking for a job, there are also so many refugees that open their own businesses and hiring other refugees. So if you see all those business, businesses popping up, ethnic restaurant, halal store, and all those are uh, opened by refugees, and they also hire refugees and invest back into our economy. Okay, we have just a few seconds. So I just want to quickly ask you, Lee, whether the shortage of labor has led to greater incentives. Are farmers offering higher pay or other benefits as a result? I would say on average right now, the starting wage in agriculture is $12 an hour. I mean, we're above the minimum wage. And for some technical staff, I mean, we're hiring across the nation. So I mean, we're outpacing the minimum wage increase, try, looking for people. So I would agree with Sam. I mean, anyone who's willing and able, whoever they are that shows up, will hire them. <laughs> Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. That's Lee Geshwill of the Oregon Association of Nurseries, Sam Pardue and Carrie Sturrock of Endo Windows, and We Hire Refugees, and Jimmy Dogo of ERCO. Glad to have you here today. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. 
Biz 503 is produced by Kobe Hutzler with Carl Leckie and edited by Daniel Lin. Biz 503 is a production of Portland Radio Project. A big thank you to PRP's podcast coordinator, Nastasia Voisin, and I'm Rebecca Webb. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great weekend. 